Thank you so much for joining us here at Word Baptist Church. I'm Jamar Andrews. I'm the lead pastor, and I get the great privilege of shepherding here. I'm excited that you're joining us today for this sermon. You're about to receive text-driven preaching. My prayer is that God speaks to you through this time as you listen to this message. So enjoy, and God bless. Good morning. Nobody responds because the room's empty, but good morning, everybody. Um, I want to welcome you to Word Baptist. Uh, today, we are going to be looking at the book of Philippians, and uh, I just want to let you know that uh, what we're going to be looking at, the passage that we're going to be getting into is uh, a passage that is filled with encouragement. It's, uh, it's filled with confidence and comfort, uh, but it, it doesn't come the way that you might expect it to. Uh, the, the encouragement and the comfort, uh, the confidence, all of that is almost, it comes secondary. So there, there is a singular focus in this passage, um, but the, the effects of that single focus for you and for me is, uh, is comfort, encouragement, and confidence. Assurance um, is another good word. I want to I just thank Spencer for the, uh, the word that he brought last week. Uh, he did an excellent job giving us a complete overview of the Old Testament in about 15 minutes, uh, which I thought was incredible. Um, it took me two, two semesters of seminary to get what Spencer gave us uh, last Sunday. And uh, so I thought that was excellent. I want to thank him for that. We're, uh, I'm going to mention him again later, but um, I just want to thank Spencer for that. I want to thank Jamar for giving me the opportunity to, to bring God's word. I, I just want you to know that I don't think that this is any small thing to, uh, to endeavor to open up God's word and to communicate what it says. Uh, I, I think it is of the utmost importance what we see here in his word. So I take it very seriously. But we're going to be looking at uh, Philippians in just a little context here. Paul is writing to the, the believers who are in Philippi, and he is writing to them from prison. So he has been put in prison for preaching the gospel, and he is writing to the Philippians to encourage them and give them confidence and to let them know um, that they should not be worried about the fact that he's in prison or about the opposition that they are facing in and around uh, Philippi. So the way that the way that Paul does that actually is not by uh, not by saying don't worry we're going to get through this uh, y'all just you know just hang in there uh, he gives them a rock solid foundation and in Christ so the way that Paul encourages the believers the way that we see Paul is encouraged in his own situation is by his confidence in Jesus Christ not in himself not in the Roman legal system but in Jesus Christ. So what Paul does here is he shifts the focus. He changes their perspective, not to look at the situation around them, but to look to Jesus. And it's actually, it's incredible how much of the Bible is dedicated to doing just that. I mentioned Spencer. So last week he, he preached from Jeremiah chapter 23 and uh, God was talking to the Israelites and he was speaking about the fact that they were going to be uh, overcome by their enemies, that their city would be destroyed and that they would be dispersed. And God told them, he changed their perspective. He said that you will be taken out, but I will bring you back and I'm going to put a king over you who will act righteously and justly, and his name will be called the Lord, our righteousness. So what, the, what God does for the Israelites, the confidence that he gives them is by ch changing their focus from the situation, a terrible, 
terrible situation that they're in. If you want to know how bad the situation that the Israelites were in, you can read the book of Lamentations. If you haven't read Lamentations, you can get you some Lamentations this week. Uh, But I would encourage you to read the entire book in one sitting. Because if if you decide I'm going to do a chapter a day, there's five chapters, I'm going to do a chapter a day, four out of those five chapters, you're going to be really, really bummed out. Um, so you're going to spend the whole week upset if you just don't read, read all the limitations all at once, and you will see how terrible the situation was for the Israelites. But God gives them a promise. I'm going to bring you back, and I'm going to give you a king who will act righteously and justly. God changes their focus and puts it on Christ, who we, we know the Messiah, Jesus Christ, the Lord, our righteousness. Uh, and two weeks ago, Walter brought a message for us. And when I say two weeks ago, I'm going to be honest with y'all. It literally feels like that was two months ago. But two weeks ago, just two weeks ago, Walter brought a message from Matthew chapter six, where Jesus is teaching his disciples how to pray. And the very first thing that he says we have to do when we pray is we have to make sure our perspective is right, that our focus is in the right place, uh, namely on our father who is in heaven. And, uh, and I'm, I'm thankful for that word. But Paul does the exact same thing here. He changes the perspective. Uh, the, the Philippians, they are in opposition. Paul is in prison. And Paul switches their perspective, changes their focus, and puts it on Jesus Christ. And he starts that in verse 20. So we're in Philippians chapter 1. I'm going to read from verse 20. He says, According to my earnest expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in anything, But with all boldness, Christ will, even now, as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. So what Paul does is to encourage the believers in Philippi and to encourage us all believers who are going to open this word for all of time until Christ returns is to remind them that it's not about what's happening to you, whether life or death. What matters is that Christ will be exalted. So the way that that breaks down, I imagine this, that, so that's a, that's a pretty powerful statement. It's potent. Uh, you would not expect to hear this if Pastor Jamar was put in prison and he sends us a letter. We're trying to hear from him and he says, I'm just going to let y'all know whether I live or I die, Christ is going to be exalted. Uh, that, that's a bold statement. Uh, that, that, takes some, uh, that takes some gumption to say something like that. And uh, and Paul, I think, he, he takes the time in the next passage, the one that we're going to be studying today, to explain to us what that looks like. And I, I think about when I was in high school, growing up, uh, parents, you know, they, they have the, the job of teaching their children things. And I don't know if this is everybody's experience, but one of the ways that my parents taught me was that they would do something, and then they would check on me to make sure that I understood why they did why, what, what they just did. And just for an example, so my, my dad teaching me how to uh, check the oil levels in the car. So, you know, we had an Astro van. I don't know if y'all know what the Astro van is. They don't make those anymore, but uh, we, had, we had an Astro van, pop the hood, you get the dipstick. And so what, what he would do is he'd pull the stick out. He has some paper towels. He'd wipe it off, put it back in, and pull it back out, and then check the levels. And so what he would do is, he, you know, he'd do this, and he'd look at me and he'd like, now why did I just do that? So that was the question. Why did I just do that? I know the reason he did it is because you had to make sure your measuring rod was clean before you went in there to check the actual levels of the, of the oil. And I think what Paul does here for us is he makes a bold statement. Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. And then he looks at the Philippians and he says, now, why do I say that? 
What do I mean by that? And we see in these verses 21 through 30, specifically in 21 through 26, but in 21 through 30, what exactly he means by that. So the first point that we're going to look at here is um, how Christ is exalted in death. So that's where Paul starts. That's where I'm going to start because that's where Paul starts. In verses 21 through 23, he says, For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me, and I do not know which to choose. But I am hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better. So what we see from Paul is the, the way that Christ is exalted in his death, what he's talking about here is the very worst situation, uh, the worst outcome of the situation that he's in, the very worst. So he's in prison. There's a, a couple of ways that this can go. One of them is he could be released and uh, to be on his way. A, a more likely scenario is that he will be executed for what he was preaching. So he's saying the very worst case scenario, I die, Philippians, I'm going to die. And I'm just going to let you know that if that is what happens, I count it as gain. And that, that is, uh, that's what it looks like when we're suffering, when we're, we're faced with a very worse situation, worse scenario, and we can, say, we can call it gain because to, to, for Christ is more important than that. That's, what Christ is, that's how Christ is exalted in our death. So, and then I think there's two things that happen whenever we have that position, whenever we have that mindset, there's a, there's a twofold effect. One, the first one is that Christ looks great. So when we're, we're faced with a very worst situation, when we know that, uh, the only, you know, one of the ways out of this is I'm going to die and we say to die is gain, then Christ looks good. Cause he says it again in verse 23, he says it another way. He says, having this desire. So this is what he wants. He has this desire to depart and be with Christ. So to say it another way, to die. So my desire is to depart, die, and be with Christ. So the reason that he can call death gain is because he knows that that means that he would gain unity with Christ. So first off, Christ looks great. When we're faced with terrible situations and we rejoice because we know that we are found in Jesus, then he looks excellent. The world looks at that and they, they want some of it. Uh, they want to know about Jesus, the one that, that isn't shaken even when we're faced with death. The second thing is, is that we can never be put to shame. So if, if our confidence is in Christ, even to the point of death, then we can never be put to shame. And uh, I think about all the things that people can put their confidence in. Uh, people could put their confidence in, in the economy, in money, uh, material things. Uh, I know people put their confidence in their relationships, uh, boyfriend or girlfriend, uh, wife or husband. They put it in their relationships. They put it in other people. They put it in their, their family. Um, I, I don't know if y'all ever seen the show or heard of the show called Parenthood, but my wife and I have been watching that together. I enjoy it, uh, but they, I, I don't agree with some of their theology. Uh, there is an episode where the two parents are trying to figure out what they're going to teach their kid about religion. So they, of course, they go to their parents and they ask, well, what did y'all, you know, y'all didn't teach us anything. And essentially what their parents tell them is that what's most important is family. That's all you have to worry about. The most, most important thing is family. And uh, I think about people that put their confidence 
in family or put their confidence in themselves or their loved ones, their relationships, or in the economy. And every single one of those things can be shaken. And I'm standing here as as someone who was adopted. I know the immense goodness that can come from family, but families can be shaken. People pass away. Uh, your loved ones pass away uh, in your in your relationships. If all your your confidence is in the other person, then you're you're going to be downtrodden. You're going to be baffled every time that they act selfishly. I, I think about my wife. If all of her confidence is in me, then she's going to be let down on a daily basis because I am not perfect. In fact, the only confidence that I think that she should have in me is the fact that I am looking to Christ. And that's, that's, that's what it is. All these things we could put in, uh, in the economy. All it takes is a pandemic and the money's gone. And I, and I think about the fact that people put their, they build their entire lives around these things that can be gone in an instant. But if we are to put our confidence in Christ, we're to trust him, build our lives around him, then we can never be put to shame. I want to read from First uh, Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58. We see this play out. Uh, Paul's talking about the resurrection at the end. And he says, Therefore, beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. The central idea there is in the Lord. Our toil is in vain if it's in anything else except for him. We cannot be put to shame. So that's, that's what Paul does. Though. So he says, Christ will be exalted in my death. He shows us what that means because to die is gain. So the only way Christ is exalted in our death is if we're looking at Jesus and saying, if I lose everything, including my life, I gain you and I am okay with that. In fact, Paul says that is very much better. Uh, chapter, verse 23. Um, the second idea that he, that he shows is how Christ is exalted in our life. So remember verse 20, he said that Christ will be exalted whether by life or by death. So we've looked at what it means to be exalted in life or death. And now we're gonna look at what it means to be exalted in life. And I love the way that, that Paul works here because essentially what he did for us is he gave us two sentences to show us how, how Christ is exalted in our death. About two sentences, uh, verses 21, verses 23, and he, he dedicates the rest of this passage and really the whole rest of the letter to the Philippians showing how we exalt Christ in our living. So he's not encouraging believers to read this and think, well, I should lay down my life. You know, if to die is gain, then why do I keep toiling here in the world? Paul, Paul shows by, uh, by the precedence that he gives to the living how we exalt Christ in our life. And we're going to look at how that looks, starting in verse 24. Paul says, Yet to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that, you, so that your proud confidence in me may abound in Christ Jesus through my coming to you again. So the first thing that we see, the way that Christ is exalted in our life, is that, um, is that we are able to lift up and encourage and help along other believers. And I, I want to I pause. This, this might be, 
I've debated about whether or not I wanted to go into all this. This might be a rabbit hole, but if it is, I, I just ask that you would indulge me. Because uh, I, I think about, there's an acronym that I've seen, that I've seen posted around. I've seen it on billboards and, uh, and things of that nature. Uh, I don't know if y'all have heard this, but JOY, I've seen JOY broken down in an acronym, J-O-Y, JOY. Uh, and I've heard it said like this, so J is Jesus first. Uh, stop me if y'all if y'all have heard this. Um, o is others second. I'm, I'm just y'all can't. Uh, and then Y is yourself last. So I, I hope that's familiar to you because that thought came to my mind when I was reading this. And um, I don't know who came up with that. Uh, I I don't think that they whoever it was was author, as authoritative as the Bible. Uh, because I think something interesting happens here uh, for Paul, at least in uh, in verse 24, because I think about that acronym. So clearly, clearly we can say Paul has Jesus first. That's all he's been talking about. Focus on Christ. Christ will be exalted. To die is gain because I get to be with Christ. So, um, so obviously he has Jesus first, but look at what the transition that he makes in verse 24. Yet to remain in the flesh is more necessary for whose sake? For your sake, if, if I was writing this, I would say it's more necessary for y'all's sake. And what we see is that Paul, because he has Jesus first, he automatically knows that others are just as important. And the reason that I, I I'm not gonna fight anybody on this if you, if you wanna resist, but the reason that I, I'm not all about the, uh, the joy acronym is because I don't see anywhere in here um, where Paul gives any um, heedance, he, where he doesn't take, he, he doesn't take headed of, I don't know how to say that, um, of his own desires. He makes a statement. He says, I desire to depart and be with Christ, which to me, if there's ever a statement that should stand on its own, it's that one right there. I desire to depart and be with Christ. And he immediately sets that aside even though that's his desire, he sets it aside and he says, yet for your sake, I will continue. So the very first way that we see that Christ is exalted in our life, specifically for Paul, but for all of us, is the fact that as we continue in life, we are building one another up. My life is used to encourage other believers to seek God more, to enjoy Christ more, so that Christ may be exalted. We see that in other places in scripture, Proverbs 27, 17. This might be, it might be the most popular Proverbs uh, in, in the whole book of Proverbs in the, in the Bible. It might be. I, I, and it says, iron sharpens iron, and so one man sharpens another. And the idea there is, is that as we're living our lives together, as we spend time together, as we, as we work and as we live in our, in our homes and at the job, that we are continuously sharpening one another, that we're, we're helping other, other people fix their gaze on Jesus, that we are building towards that end together. And we see that even though Paul, he says it, his desire, what he really, really wants is to depart and be with Christ the one thing that trumps that is his desire to see other believers encouraged in their faith so that they may boast all the more in Jesus Christ. That's what he says in verse 26, so that your confidence in me may abound in Christ Jesus. Another place where we see this unity, and this is... uh, This says a little bit bit more. It's It's a little more technical. We see it in Ephesians. 
chapter 4. So in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul is urging for unity in the Spirit. So he says, therefore, verse 1, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling in which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. For there is one body and one Spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, and one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So the, the focus there is the, the unity, the, the togetherness, that we are in this thing together. And so I think about the fact that if, if we are to exalt Christ, I think about my own life. If I am to exalt Christ, I'm, to, I'm helping my wife exalt Christ. I'm helping all the guys that I work with to exalt Christ. Everybody that I come in contact with, I'm helping them to exalt Christ, whether they're believers or not. If they're not believers, I got to get them, get them to be believers, and then I got to help them exalt Christ. Um, I think about that, and I think about the fact that Paul is talking about the unity, and he says, to- tolerate one another in a spirit of unity. And I think about the fact that, like, it, it, if our job as believers is to encourage other believers to exalt Christ more than quarreling or disagreements among believers, those have to be snuffed out immediately. There is no room for those kind of things in the body because how can I encourage you to exalt Christ more if you have a grudge against me or vice versa? And I know that, that that's, you know, kind of a tertiary thought that's kind of on the, uh, the fringe of what we're actually talking about here. But I think that it's important that we seek as we live, not only to encourage each other in the faith, but also to make sure that we are unified. We let the important things stay important. We let the non-important things go to, go to the wayside so that we can together continue to exalt Christ with our lives. I hope that makes sense. So going back to Philippians here, Paul continues in verse 27. So we see now what Paul what Paul's saying. He's saying, if I die, it's gain. I get to be with Christ. If I live, I can encourage you to exalt Christ. Uh, So win-win. He goes on in verse 27 and essentially the rest of the book to show how the, the Philippians can exalt Christ in their life. So starting in verse 27, he says, only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. In no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you, and that too from God. For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, experiencing the same conflict with, with, conflict with which you saw in me and now here to be in me. So he goes on to show a couple of other ways that, uh, that Christ is exalted in our, in our living. He says, one, to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. And I think that's, a, that's an interesting way to, to phrase that, but really what he's saying is to keep in step with the gospel. So you were saved by grace in your faith. Keep walking by grace in your faith. So keep in step with the gospel, live in a, a manner worthy of the gospel. 
And he says, he tells them to stand firm. So this is another way that Christ is exalted in our lives. When we stand firm against opposition. And I love the phrasing that he uses here in verses, verse 28. I'm going to read it again. Verse 28, in no way alarmed by your opponents. So he said, stand firm in no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you and that too from God. So I, th- I think that that verse warrants a little explanation. Uh, it's a little wordy, and uh, I don't think it's uh, automatically intuitive what he's saying there, but, but what he, he, he's given a picture of two things. So when we stand firm against opposition, he's, he's showing uh, there's two things that happen. One, it's destruction for your opponents, and two, it's a, a proof of your salvation. So the the Destruction for the opponents, we'll take that one first. And I don't think we have to leave this passage to see, see what he means there. Uh, because we think about, I, I think about, it, I put myself in the shoes of Paul's opposition. I think, you know, Paul's out there preaching the gospel. We grab him, we snatch him, we lock him up. We got him in prison. We're trying to get him beheaded. We need to take care of this Paul because he's stirring up all this nonsense. And I think if I'm Paul's opposition and I hear Paul say something like, my desire is to depart and be with Christ. To die is gain. Then uh, essentially the wind is out of my sails. If I'm his opposition and I hear him say that, the very worst thing you could do to me, opposition, is gain. So bring it on. Then that is my destruction. I've got nothing else. I got no other tools in my bag if the very worst thing I can think to do to Paul is kill him. And he says, bring it on because that is what I very much desire. It would be very much better if you do that. That is destruction for your opposition. So as we're standing firm in the faith and we think about it, it, opposition comes from all sorts of angles and all sorts of ways. But if we keep our eyes focused on Christ and we say, I don't care what you do to me. The very worst thing you could do is kill me. And I win if you do that. I win if you don't, because I'm going to continue on in Christ, exalting other believers. Um, Then that is destruction for our opposition. And you can see woven in there, our salvation. If amid opposition, we continue to focus on Christ and to trust in him. It is our salvation. And I don't want, I don't want anybody to be uh, caught off guard, but Paul ends this section with the uh, confirmation that suffering, just like our salvation in Christ, suffering is going to be part of it. So nothing that I'm saying here is saying that if you focus on Christ, then everything is going to be okay. That, that I, I, I know that I haven't said that. I want to make sure that I say that explicitly. I'm not saying that if you focus on Christ, everything's going to be okay because we know that suffering is built in. But I'm saying that if you focus on Christ, you will never be shaken because he can never fail. Everything that we see and hear, everything that we can lay our hands on will fail, but Jesus never will. And then I'm going to close this way. I have a, I have a thought about the fact that uh, people come to salvation in Christ for a myriad of reasons. We look to God for healing, and we, we look to God for assurance, for restoration. Uh, we look to God rightly for forgiveness. And we desire these things. And the only, only thing that I can say that I know is trustworthy is that if you look to Christ, 
he will provide those things. I can't give you more confidence. I can't give you peace of mind. I can't give you direction and guidance in your life. You're wondering what, what to do, take the job, leave the job, move here, move there. I can't, I can't give you any sort of direction or guidance on that. But I can give you Christ through his word and the rest of that stuff will come. I want to tell, I want to mention something. Um, I remember, if y'all don't know me, uh, I was adopted when I was 15. Uh, and when I was 14, uh, a couple of weeks before my 14th, my 15th birthday, I had a conversation with my biological father. Uh, it was late, probably about 10 o'clock. I was talking to him. He was clearly troubled by something. And he asked me, uh, what time do y'all go to church? Uh, because he knew I went to church with a couple of friends. He said, what, what time do y'all go to church? I'm 14. And I said, uh, I was like, well, you know, we go a certain time where there's a meal beforehand. And then, you know, Wednesday nights we, uh, we have a class. And he was like, well, I would really like to start going to church with y'all. Uh, but I need to get some things together first. So the reason he was asking me that at that time, he was living with his girlfriend. I was living separately uh, with a, a friend. I was sleeping, uh, sleeping over at a friend's house, extended stay, about a year and a half uh, doing that. And uh, so we, I was basically living my own life and I'd stopped in to see him and he asked me that. And, uh, and you know, I was, I'm 14. Uh, I was not, I don't think, a believer at that time, but I did my best to communicate this to him. He said, I need to get some things together first. And I did my very best to tell him that it's the sick who need a doctor. And there's no, there's no getting things together before you come up to the church, before you come to Christ. There's, there's, there's no making sure you got all your ducks in a row before you, you pray and you give your life to Christ. You give your life to Christ first and let him get the things together. You, you just, you focus on him. And we see now that, that the result of that is that we can never be put to shame. We stand firm against opposition. So in closing, uh, I don't know. I'll just, I'll just finish the story for y'all. I don't know the result of that conversation. I left after that and my dad uh, went to the grocery store and he had a heart attack in the parking lot. Um, and I didn't find out until the next morning. Um, so I've got no idea what happened in those 10 hours between when I talked to him and when I got called out of geom geometry class uh, to let me know that he had passed away. Um, but I hope that he heard the fact that whatever he felt like he had to get together, all he had to do was look to Jesus and it would be taken care of. Matthew 6.33 says, uh, says that uh, better than I can, and I'm going to close with this. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So what we're going to do now, I'm going to ask uh, Tyler and the band to come back up. They're going to close us with some music. And I know that, uh, I know that our tendency is at this point uh, to log off. We got other things to do. Uh, we got to get lunch cooking or something like that. But I just encourage you, to take this time. If you, you're watching on your phone, watching on your laptop, you got it thrown up on the TV, let the, let, let the band play, let the music play, and spend some time with Jesus. If you are a believer, spend some time thanking him for the confidence that you have in him and the faith that you have in him because it was by him that you were brought in. And if you're not a believer or if you're struggling, I pray that you would just look to Jesus. 
There's no words that I could give you that would fit your situation, everybody's situation perfectly. So I'm just gonna encourage you that whatever you do during this time, pray, look to him and trust him to take care of you and your situation. So I'm gonna pray. The band's gonna, gonna play. I encourage you to hang in with us, listen and spend this time with God. Father, be glorified. I personally, I am thankful for the fact that you saved me. And I, I think about the way that you continue to save me on a daily basis. I think about my wife, the fact that you saved her and that we are together, we're united in our pursuit of you. God, I'm thankful for Word Baptist Church that is filled with saved people that you have brought together to exalt you with their lives. And Father, I pray for anybody who is not in you, who cannot say, I am saved, who cannot call themselves a believer. I pray that if they hear nothing else from this message, that your word would speak true to them, that if they are found in you, if they put their faith, their confidence in Jesus Christ, they cannot be shaken. There's nothing else in the world. There's nothing else in existence that is as firm and trustworthy as you. Father, I pray for, for the rest of this service. I pray that you would bless and I pray that you would speak to people's hearts and that they would be moved. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. I hope God spoke to you during the message today. We want to know about it. You can fill out a connection card at wordbaptist.com slash connection card. We want to help you through any spiritual questions you may have while you're on this journey. You see, we believe that the first step is for a person to give their life to Jesus Christ. The Bible is very clear that the greatest need that humanity has is to be saved and that the only way to be saved is through Jesus Christ. If you will agree with God, that you need him for the forgiveness of your sins and you will turn to him in repentance and believe in him, uh, you will be saved. The Bible says that you do this by one, believing that Jesus Christ died and was raised from the dead and that you believe that his payment is sufficient for you, that you will call out to him as Lord and Savior, he will save you. If you're listening to the service and do not have a church home, we would love for you to come and be our guest during the time of worship. We have multiple services. We would love to meet you personally and have you here for worship. You can check us out at wordbaptist.com for service times. If you've missed any sermons, they're all archived there online, so you can go back and watch them. You can connect with us on social media at Word Baptist. If you would like to invest in the ministry and continuing the spread of the gospel, you can give online at wordbaptist.com give. I'm so grateful that you've joined us today, and I hope you've learned something that you can apply to your life, and we hope to see you again next time right here at Word Baptist Church.